Good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. Amen. I got a text while we were in service, and so I asked Matthew if he would make a phone call real quick and find out the details there. Lest you thought I was busy on my cell phone doing I know it is that kind of generation that we live in now, in a time that we live in. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 10 this morning. I want to emphasize what Pastor Matt and Pastor Dennis had said in relationship to the heart for the house. There's something about participation. You know, I was a football coach for 12 to 15 years of my life, and it has been said that there's only 11 folks who play on the field, but it's not 11 folks that make a team. It's everybody. So whether someone is standing on the sidelines or whether they're the superstar out on the field at that moment, It takes a full team, and the whole team celebrates together. And what God is doing in our midst right now is something that we literally would love to see everybody celebrate together because you've been a part, whether it's one cent, whether it's prayer, whether it's contribution of a larger amount. The amount doesn't matter. It's that we're all in and we believe together. Amen? It really, really is exciting to see what God is doing. So, that being said, I want to encourage that. Then I want to mention also in relationship to the mission banquet, it's really a mission dessert social. It's next Saturday, excuse me, next Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in lieu of our evening services. It will be right here. And here's the thing. We've already heard back from 20 of our missionary families that will be a part in that. We've heard back from 20. What we would love to see is literally our entire congregation to show up next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. You see, they're our extension. They're our extension in the area of overseas outreach and mission to local mission right here in the midst of our community in North Clackamas, really our communities, not only in North Clackamas, but extending into Portland and literally all of Oregon. We're believing God for harvest. Can someone say amen? Amen. To know who they are so that when we're praying for them, you know who they are. That would be so marvelous. So I want to encourage you, please, Stop by our table in the foyer, sign up, grab some tickets, plan to be here. It is not a fundraiser. It is simply a chance to love on those who are on the front lines, to have a face with a name, so that when we pray and intercede, we are praying and interceding in a more effectual way. We'll hear from them how we can be praying for them. So if, you, if that's you and you'd say, you know what, PD, I'll, I'll come. I'll be there. Could I just see heads nod right now? Just, uh, yeah, okay, there's a handful of you. You're all right. Keep nodding, keep nodding. Don't fall asleep. Just you're with us. All right, good. That is great. It really, really, really matters. Okay. Revelation chapter 10. I understand that when, if you're here for the first time, and you're visiting this morning, picking up in the midst of the book of Revelation could be a bit of a challenge for you. You're like, hey, whoa, where these guys are full, the pedal to the metal, they're going already 55 miles an hour. I'm just getting on the freeway. Well, here's the thing. We study book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. We happen to be in the book of Revelation on this, the 28th day of February 2016 in chapter 10. We're going to go through chapter 10. By way of catching those of you up, we have spent a tremendous amount of time already in the book. It is the book that is, and it's the only book of the 66 books contained in the canon of Scripture that comes with a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, 
and to those who keep the promises contained within it. And so it's an inspiration to all of us to spend time studying the book of Revelation. We've already seen a whole lot of stuff transpire. Predominant in there is that we are presently in the third section, and that third section is the things hereafter. Jesus himself divided the book or this revelation into three distinct parts, the things that John had seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be hereafter. In our study, we're in section three, the things that are hereafter. In reality, in life, we're at that part where the things that are, we are living amidst the epics of the church age. The scripture and Paul the apostle reminds us it is a mystery and had been a mystery to all of the people going back from Adam and Eve up to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it was revealed to Paul that there was going to be a really a parenthetical pause of God's attention on the nation Israel. And that parenthetical pause is known as the church age. And we are living in the midst of it. Here's what we know in reference to the church age. The scripture would point and reveal to us that we are living towards the tail end of the church age. That's why we say with confidence that we are living in what is known as the last days. The last days. There is a future day where the trumpet will sound. The voice of the archangel will call out. And the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. The Bible says we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with him forever. It's good news. It's great news to those whose faith is in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. It's a responsibility to us whose faith is in Christ to share the good news of the gospel. We've seen in Revelation chapter 6 through where we presently are in Revelation chapter 10 already some things that are unfolding in what is known biblically as Daniel's 70th 7, also known as the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 9, God's focus is back on a Christ-rejecting nation, the nation of Israel, and a Christ-rejecting world. So at the moment we are in Revelation chapter 10, God's focus and attention is on the earth, the nation Israel, and the Christ-rejecting people that are remaining on the earth after the rapture has occurred. We've seen the scroll that had seven seals. We've seen all seven of those seals broken. We have seen at the breaking of the seventh seal, there were seven trumpet judgments that were pronounced. We have seen six of the seven trumpet judgments already coming upon the face of the earth. We come to chapter 10, and chapter 10 in its entirety through Chapter 11, verse 15, is another parenthetical pause. Just like we saw with the breaking of the seven seals, between seal number six and seal number seven, there was a pause. And there was another chapter in there, if you will, where there was a revealing of 144,000 that were sealed. And then there were those that received the gospel, and we saw a picture and a glimpse, and then we saw that breaking of the seventh seal. Now we've seen six of the trumpets, and there's another parenthetical pause, and we're going to be introduced to some things in the midst of that. Boy, isn't that exciting? Good, thanks, Matt. Um, oh, I suppose you want to know, too. <laughs> it says this, volunteers needed for for the snow cone and five as simple volunteers. We have this coming Friday night, right here at Sunnyside Elementary School, the Family Fun Luau. 
Don't ever do that again in public. Okay. If you would like to volunteer this coming Friday night right here at the elementary school and simply love on some kids, making snow cones, or being a helper in any way, we would love for you to sign up on this little sheet. I'm going to pass around, and I'm going to start right over here with Charlie. And Charlie, you can sign uh, someone else's name. <laughs> Last time he ended up in the dunk tank. That's a good time. <laughs> Uh, we'll just pass it around. If that's you, we can use every volunteer that's available. If you'd like to be a part of that, we'd like for you to be here. It's going to be a great time. And we'll, if you leave your name, number, and your uh, email address, we'll get in contact with you right away. So here we are. We, we come to this next parenthetical pause. So the six trumpets have sounded. We've been introduced to those judgments. And remember, please, please remember, the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb that is being poured out on a Christ-rejecting nation and a Christ-rejecting world, remember, God is redemptive in nature. The purpose of the chastisement, the last of the chastising of God, is to draw as many as possible to faith in Christ. If you miss that piece, the understanding of God's chastisement won't make sense. But every parent who has had a child perpetually reach to put their finger in the outlet on the wall, we've come to the place where we're one more. What happens if he puts his finger in that socket? He could die. He could be electrocuted. And so as parents, we do preventive and if it continues and perpetuates, we have to raise the bar, so to speak. I remember what it was like for me when my parents were teaching me not. Well, I actually don't remember. They told me about it. But nevertheless, I remember certainly when Matthew was young and he kept going for the outlet. I remember I learned. Now, you're probably going to think I'm a terrible parent, but I learned to begin to flick his finger. As he'd reach he decided he didn't like that very much. Now, did I have fun doing it? No, I really didn't. <laughs> He's getting me back now. <laughs> no, I really didn't. It was not fun. But I did it for his protection and safety. That's how God is here. This, this final chastisement. Remember, God has been working on the redemption of mankind and the world since Adam and Eve. In fact, before Adam and Eve, remember, we're re we're, we talk about Christ as the Lamb who was slain from the what? The foundations of the earth, the foundations of the world, the foundations of the universe. Jesus was already the Redeemer before mankind ever came into existence. God has been working on redemption, and he is coming to the summation, if you will. And so this is his last attempt. So there's chastisement, and it is heavier hand, so to speak. Well, we come to this parenthetical pause, and in your Bibles, in Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, we won't read these, but we're introduced to a number of subject matters here. We're introduced to another angel. The, 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 beck, the beckoning question or the begging question is, who is this angel? And there are, at best, conjecture as to who this is. Now, some would say, great theologians would say, this is Jesus Christ himself. Others would say, well, this is not Jesus, but perhaps Michael, the archangel. Others would say, well, this is not Michael or Jesus, perhaps Gabriel, or perhaps just another mighty angel. We don't know for sure. But who this angel is is not important as to what the angel says and what the angel has. He has with him a book, and his book is an important book. Now let me just look at my notes for a moment. I'm sure I had some thoughts in relationship to it. Okay. He has a book. Now here's the interesting thing in relationship to the book. <coughs> the scripture says it's a little book. Many theologians have tried to ascertain what the book is. <coughs> is it 
the scroll that was in the hand of Christ, that now all the seals are removed. He is giving it to John for John to consume so that John can convey the rest of the information about the redemption of the world and mankind. Others would conject that it could be Daniel's little book that he was instructed, and you can read this in Daniel chapter 12, he was instructed to seal up the book and the contents therein until the end of the age. It's very possible that it is Daniel's little book. It's very possible that it's some other book, and we don't know what it is, but it is a book. Personally, I believe that it's likely to be Daniel's little book because it's sealed up to the end, and here John has a revelation of the things in the end. So, we're introduced to that. We're also introduced to seven thunderous voices. Seven thunderous voices, and their voices, John was about to write down what they said. But he was instructed to not write them down and to seal that up. So we don't know what they said. But if you're like me and you hear about these voices, just like Daniel's book in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, you might be thinking to yourself, I wonder what was said. I wonder. Remember, <coughs> excuse me, the Apostle Paul reveals a story in his epistles of one who was caught up into heaven and saw inexpressible things and things that were not lawful for him to declare. Well, there are things happening in a realm that we just simply cannot take in. I believe that whatever those seven thunderous voices said, it's something that clearly we don't need to know. There may be a time where we will get to know. So the seven thunderous voices. And then we're introduced to the mystery of God. Now, chapter 7 reveals the mystery of God. Here's the thing. There are a lot of mysteries referenced in the Bible. Mysteries. There are at least... 14 different mysteries that are mentioned. This particular mystery, the mystery of God. It does beg the question, and I would simply believe that it is the mystery of the gospel, and it is coming to its summation, if you will, the redemption of mankind and the redeeming of the world. But just to know that there are mysteries, and the only way a mystery can be solved is through revelation. And so at some point in time, that revelation will unfold. For us, I believe it will unfold when we're in heaven already. But the, all, those that are on the earth will be experiencing the summation, if you will. So we come to our text this morning, and I want to read with you Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. And this morning as we read this, I believe that there are simply some observations that if we will take the time to receive the observations and put them into practice in our daily living today, that our faith and our walk in the Lord will be strengthened. So we'll look at those. Let's read together. I'll read. You follow along. Revelation chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will, be, it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So three observations. Number one, John listens and obeys 
the voice of God. Get that. John listens and obeys the voice of God. Secondly, John reads and digests or assimilates what he has read, the book of God. And John speaks and declares the word of God. So let's unpack these three thoughts. First, our first observation, listen and obey the voice of God. Does that sound like a good idea? Listen and obey the voice of God. That sounds like a pretty good observation and admonition to us. The scripture says, The voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said. The words the voice spoke simply reveals that God is speaking. God is speaking. The prophet Isaiah reminds us this in Isaiah chapter 6. You see, he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne, and he overheard a conversation transpiring in the throne room. Whom shall go? Whom shall we send and who will go for us? He heard the conversation. God is speaking. That's important. The, the words, to me, in the text, God is speaking specifically not only to his church, individual expressions of the body of Christ, like speaking to Hillside. He is speaking to the totality of his church, the body of Christ, and he's speaking to each of the individual members of his body. God is speaking to you and to me, individually. Now, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. God is speaking specifically to us, to me, and to you. Do I realize he's speaking, and do I realize he is speaking directly to me? The text goes on to say, John heard. This begets that John was what? He was listening. He's listening. I wonder sometimes, are we listening to the Lord? I was part of a funny little test, if you will, this past week. I watched a video, and the video said there were six people on this video they were standing in the middle, center court of a basketball court, and they were, it was up close. You could only kind of see the center, and these six people, uh, six were dressed, excuse me, three were dressed all in black, and three had white shirts on. And we were instructed to count the number of passes that those with the white shirts had on. And they began to move and intermove and kind of do this little tangling thing. And so you're watching for the white shirts, and they were passing, bounce pass, chest pass, bounce pass, chest pass. I'm counting, keeping my eyes on this thing, and got all done, and I was kind of sit up in my seat, and I thought, I got them all. And I counted 16 passes. And so then the, the MC said, how many of you counted at least 14 passes? You know, just about every hand went up. How many of you got 15? You know, a number of hands went up. He said, how many of you got 16? And I was like, oh. He says, 16 was the right number. I was like, Then he asked the question, how many of you saw one of the three in black walk off the screen? I was like, what? I'm like, well, I missed that. But I didn't want anyone else to know. I'm like, I didn't raise my hand. I'm like, then he asked the question, how many of you saw the gorilla walk into the middle of the screen, stop, and then continue and walk all the way off? Everybody sitting at our table looked at each other and said, the what? The gorilla? Then they re-showed the video. <laughs> From the side of the screen, in walks this ape, turns, looks at the camera, I didn't see it at all. 
In fact, half or more of the people in the room didn't see that big old ape walk through and pound his chest and then walk right off. He walked right in the middle of all six people. And then he asked the question to the moderator, how many of you noticed that the curtain changed colors? There was a big curtain like this behind him, and it just changed from red to yellow. I'm like, yeah, I didn't see that either. <laughs> Here's the point. Here's the point. We miss things. We miss things when our focus and attention is somewhere else. And that can happen when we come on a Sunday morning. I hear people leave churches and say, wow, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. It makes me wonder sometimes, what were they focusing on? What have you had in your week that is preoccupying your mind that would prevent us even hearing from the Lord? What things that God might be saying from His throne, but we're so busy with the stuff that we miss what's important. Right? I would encourage you, when you spend time with the Lord, clear the slate. Daily, clear the slate. Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. You see, God is speaking. He speaks principally through his word, and we'll look at that in a few moments, but God is speaking, do I realize? Here's the thing. John heard because he was listening. And the scripture says that he spoke to me again, again. Again is a key word to me. You see, God is speaking continually, and he's speaking continually to us. Is his voice or has his voice become more familiar to you, more familiar to me, that I'm able to discern his voice over the many voices that are competing for my attention, my affections, my adorations, and my time. Is it a familiar voice? Is the voice of the Father so familiar that when he speaks, you say, yes, God, yes, God. So I think the question comes up is, what does the voice of God sound like? How many of us would like to know and be able to say, that was God, absolutely, I know what the voice of God sounds like. Because even those who heard audibly when Jesus came up out of, out of the water at his baptism, the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then another time he spoke and they said, well, we heard something, it was like thunderings. They couldn't discern. It was unfamiliar. God is speaking, and he's speaking to us. But he doesn't speak to us audibly, does he? Now, there's a scripture in John chapter 8 and verse 58 where the woman that is caught in the very act of adultery is brought to Jesus, and they said, Moses says this, what saith you? What says you? In other words, they were trying to trap Jesus. Moses said this woman should be stoned for the act of adultery. She was caught in the very act. Most people want to say, where's the guy? Wasn't he there too? Shouldn't he be stoned also? But everyone came with stones in their hand, and Jesus stooped down to the ground and began to draw on the sand. Now, I have no idea, and you have no idea what he was drawing. There's a lot of conjecture about what he might have been drawing in the sand. I have a sneaky suspicion he just drew two tablets like this. He just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, tablet one, tablet two, and then he wrote the number one, then the number two, then the number three, all the way through the Ten Commandments. He probably listed one to ten. And the scripture says that from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones. You see, Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Then he stooped back down and he began to draw again, writing in the sand. And I think those guys are looking at what he's drawn at and he goes, oh yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, I'm good at that one. Number two, mm-hmm. No. They drop their rocks, they turn and they walk away. Kill every one of them, from the oldest to the youngest. And the scripture tells us in one of the accounts, they were convicted by their conscience. Being convicted by their conscience, they dropped their stones from the oldest to the youngest, and they departed. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus said to the woman, he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. And he says, there, I don't judge you either. Go and sin no more. But the point of that 
they were convicted by their conscience. You see, God speaks to us primarily because he has written his law, that which is right and wrong, upon the tablets of our hearts. The next time you know that you're going to go do something wrong, listen to that voice that's saying, don't do that. That's the voice of God. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. God the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us, God the Holy Spirit who lives in us, He is speaking. Here's the thing. The more we listen to that voice, the more familiar it will become to us, and the quicker we will respond to it. Okay, what else? The Holy Spirit. Well, I have a number of verses from John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and I would encourage you to read John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16, because Jesus himself reveals to us, his children, some of the things that God the Spirit will do in relationship to us, mankind. John 14, verses 16 and 17 says this, Jesus speaking, and I will pray the Father that he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he already dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, they had not received the Spirit in them yet, but later Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Spirit. And the Spirit of God took up residence. And for every person who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, God the Spirit, at the moment that faith was exercised, God the Spirit took up residence inside of them. And He is the one who leads into all truth. He is the one who highlights in our conscience that which is true. Let's go on a little further. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. That's what the Spirit of God does. When I'm about ready to do something that I probably shouldn't be doing or I know I shouldn't be doing, when I go to do that thing, the Spirit of God is tapping on my heart and he's reminding me. Is he reminding me not to do that because he wants to somehow withhold something good from me? No. He's reminding me because he recognizes that sin and my sin separates me from the blessings that God wants to admonish upon me. Does it mean that I'm unsaved if I sin? No. I didn't lose my salvation because I was disobedient in sin. I positioned myself to be outside of the maximum blessings that God wants to give in my life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. I position myself by what I do in this life, whether I'm going to receive the maximum or something less. So the Spirit of God is reminding us of these things. He says this in John 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He's just going to point you to Jesus. Remember in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Spirit is always going to point to Jesus, and he uses the written Word of God preeminently to do that. He'll remind us of the words of Jesus. Okay? He goes on in John 16, verse 8, he says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll convict the world. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, that's the world. I'm not in the world. I'm not of this world. I might, my citizenship is in heaven now. Yes, that is true. And you no longer live under the law of sin and death, but under the law of life in the Spirit. But we have this life in the Spirit, but sometimes we look back, sort of like the children of Israel during the days of the Exodus, they always looked over their shoulder and looked back at Egypt. It was better over there. And sometimes we do that and we position ourselves under the rules and regulations of the world and the prince of the power of the air. We subject ourselves to the systems of this world, if you will. And so there is conviction in our hearts. Why are you over there? Why are you doing that? Why would you subject yourself again to those things that Jesus has delivered you from? Come out from underneath them and experience the freedom and the liberty in the Lord. Does that make sense? I hope. John 16 Verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And then finally, so we have that internal voice, the conviction in our conscience. We have God, the Holy Spirit, who is helping us and working and walking with us and in us and upon us. And we have the written word. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us under the inspiration of God the Spirit that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. And it is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I have very good motives here. My heart is just confirming everything on the inside that this is the right thing to do. And then we go to the word of God, and the word of God convicts our hearts that that's not the right thing. We discover that our heart is deceitful amongst the members of the body. Because our heart is part of our flesh life, if you will. And in all, in most cases, it's making provision for itself, so to speak. And so we need the absolute truth of the word of God to reveal our own motives and intents of our heart. Okay. So that voice. There's a couple of examples of how the voice of God. So let us discern the voice of God. Like John, let us listen and obey. Secondly, let's unpack the second observation, to read and assimilate or read and digest the book. And I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures because this is, uh, I'm going to move a little faster now. The scripture says, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it or when I had digested it, my stomach became bitter. So John ate this book. It begets that he consumed it. He didn't actually physically begin to munch on the book, tearing pages out, chewing on it, and swallowing it. To, to consume it. The book was so engaging that he consumed it. How many of us have read a novel that was so good we couldn't put it down? I just consumed the whole thing, right? That's, that's, the, that's the imagery that we get here. He consumed it. He ate it. He took it in. He read the book. Here's something interesting in terms of its sweetness in the mouth. This is... This is not an unfamiliar term even for John, who is pastor of those seven churches and is really a prophet as well, knowing, I'm sure, the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3 that says this. And he said to me, this is Ezekiel speaking, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, and it was in my mouth like honey to sweeten prophet again eating the scroll in other words he digested the scroll he read the scroll god has given us a book to consume god has given us a book to consume it's our responsibility it's our opportunity like that good novel this is not a novel this life this book brings life it is power Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans 10 and verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews eleven six. 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The rewarder. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent. I like the King James here, the authorized version. It says, study thyself. Study thyself. Be diligent in relationship to this. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study thyself. To present oneself a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It begets studying the word of God. We say often at Hillside, we should be engaged in five activities minimally when it comes to the word of God. Number one, we should read it. Number two, we should study it. Number three, we should meditate on it. Number four, we should memorize it. And number five, we should simply obey it. Amen? Amen. So let us read and assimilate the Word of God. How does assimilation, how does that digestion manifest itself? 
John says that the book that he read, it became bitter in his stomach. You see, the sweetness, I believe, was it was the summation of the end. Things were coming to an end. I think the bitterness, when he realized, when he contemplated, when he meditated on it, it became bitter because there was going to be loss as a result. There was loss that was forthcoming. So how do you and I assimilate what we read from the Word of God? How do we take it in, digest it, and let it become part of the fabric of who we are? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. For this is your reasonable service. He's begging us. He says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, to offer your lives as living sacrifices. That's that living part. That's that declaration. I'm declaring whose I am by how I live. I'm conducting myself in such a manner that would be worthy of the call of God upon my life. I'm conducting myself in a manner that Jesus would be abundantly satisfied with me as a follower of Christ. How I live matters. Romans 12, 2 goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world. This is one of those gorilla moments. Here's the gorilla in the middle of the room pounding his chest. Do not be conformed to this world. Did you, did you see the gorilla? Do not be conformed to this world. The world is trying to influence us. It's another voice that's speaking, and they preach very loud. They preach very loud. They preach on magazine covers. They preach on the television, what we should wear, what's defined as beauty, and all kinds of things, what we should look like physically. How many of us are sick of the preaching that is coming from Hollywood? I'm sick and tired of it. God made you unique. God made you beautiful. Let's not let the clay vase, jar, cup say to his maker, why did you make me this way? Your maker has made you beautiful. Beautiful. It's not what the world says, it's what your Savior says. Let's not find significance in what other people think about us. Rather, let's find significance in the one who simply has made us. Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. We take in the word of God and let it become a part of the fabric of who we are. We renew our minds daily. Paul talking to the church in reference to Christ and the bride of Christ. He says that he washes her in the washing of the water of the word of God, cleansing her so that she might be presented a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. The washing of the water of the word. Let us read and assimilate the word of God or the book of God, if you will. And the third point, the third observation. Speak and declare. He said to me, you must prophesy. Our text in verse 11. You must prophesy. Prophecy, remember, is the declaration of truth predominantly in Scripture. It's the declaration of truth. So my living should be declaring truth. It should not be hypocrisy, I believe one thing, but do something else. So the way I live should be declaring truth. What I say should be declaring truth. Our words matter, don't they? That's another gorilla in the room. What we say matters. We should speak truth. We should speak truth. We shouldn't be talking about other people. If there's something that you see in someone else that bothers you, pray for them. Pray for them. 
more than likely you'll discover that when you're praying for them, you'll hear the voice of God and he'll be pointing out something about you. It's true. Certainly it's been that way in my life and many people that I've talked with. When we get down to that honesty part, we realize, man, it's probably me. So often we see things in other people that we don't like about ourselves. Have you noticed that? That's a reality. Okay. Second Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy in relationship to the church, in relationship to our walk of faith, he says, preach the word. Do what? Preach the word. Was that just for Timothy? I don't think so. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching. We need to preach the word. It was St. Francis of Assisi who said, Assisi, St. Francis was a sissy. No. <laughs> you, you, you know how Boniface III ended up with a black eye, right? He called St. Francis a sissy. Anyway, he said these words. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. In other words, our lifestyle should proclaim, I am a Christ follower. And my words, that if necessary, he wasn't saying it's not necessary. He says, when necessary, Use words. Our words should be commiserate with our living. And our living should be commiserate with the spoken words that we speak, which should be the word of God. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Listen, that's the responsibility of every believer. Preach the word. Listen, he goes on to say, he says, be ready in season and out. Are you ready to speak the truth to someone? Are you ready to convince someone? Remember, Paul was, or excuse me, Peter says these words, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone. How many people? Everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We must be ready in season and out. That calls for us to be prepared to speak and declare if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says these words, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I preach not the gospel. Lord, help me to be all of that, to have that work of... Woe is me if I am not declaring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's face it, Jesus commissioned every one of us. Go into all the world. Go into all the world and teach. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, and teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. Teaching to observe. Go. Preach the gospel. John 15, in reference to the Holy Spirit, remember that verse that said, he will testify of me. The very next verse says, and you will testify of me also. Now, he was talking very specifically to those disciples, but does it not apply to every disciple of Christ? Yes, you will testify of me also. Jesus instructed the, fir the, the first century believers, they said, do not tarry, excuse me, do not depart from Jerusalem until the promise of my Father, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until the promise comes. You will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. Witnesses unto me. The followers of Christ in the book of Acts it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians, little Christs, because the people could see that these had been with Jesus, witnesses unto him. What do folks say about us? Do they say, clearly these have been with Jesus? To whom are we making reputation for? Philippians, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, in the second chapter, he said, in reference to Jesus, we should have the same 
frame of mind that Jesus did, who made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He pointed the finger to the Father. We're Christ's ambassadors. We represent a king from a kingdom that is not of this land. As Christ's ambassador, I represent the one whom sent me. Does my living declare Jesus Christ? Or am I making a reputation for myself? Ooh, it's about me. We do it, though, don't we, sometimes? All too often. Promoting self. Lord, help us to see the observation and to incorporate in our life, to speak and declare the word of God. Life and language, speaking and declaring. Jesus and the gospel. Are you speaking and living the word? Well, let us speak and let us declare the word of God. So these three things, John and samples for us. Listening and obeying, reading and digesting, speaking and declaring. Three great observations, great applications from Revelation chapter 10. John himself, yes, from Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, he is instructed that he is going to prophesy about many peoples, nations, and tongues. I believe that the book that he read is the unveiling of chapter 11 all the way through chapter 22. I can't, it's conjecture, but I believe that's what it is because he is going to prophesy. He is going to make a declaration of these future events from chapter 11 and on. Our assignment right now to listen and obey the voice, to read and digest the word of God, and to go forth speaking and declaring, speaking verbally and declaring by the way we live the truth of the word of God. Will you stand with me this morning? And as you're standing this morning and as we come to the conclusion of the service, I would simply ask you in your life, if these three observations aren't presently working in your daily living, then you would talk to the Lord about it and say, Lord, help me. Help me. You see, by listening to the voice of God and learning to, to discern his voice, he will direct our footsteps. He will direct our path. He will lead us by the still waters. He'll restore our soul. He will make us lie down in green pastures. It will be good. He is the good shepherd. I want to encourage you in those three areas. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we come in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you thanks for the word of God. We ask, Lord, for that transformation work in our lives. For so many of us, God, really probably the totality of all of us, we could learn from the observations we see in John's life. Oh, that we would listen and obey the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Spirit, the Word of God in our life. That we would set aside time to daily read and study and meditate and memorize and obey the Word of God. And that, Father, we would go forth from our prayer closets, go forth from our times that we have been with you each day, prepared ready, quick, in season and out to speak and to declare the word of God. Lord, transform us, we pray. May you bless and go before us this day. Lord, as we, many will be joining us at Godfather's Pizza in the next 20 or so minutes for a time of just fellowship and food. I pray that everybody would make time and just come up and hang out and eat some food together and have fellowship with one another. Lord, will you be glorified in our midst? We love you and we thank you, and we ask your blessing and benediction. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said a strong amen.